If you live, you live to the Lord. And if you die, you die to the Lord. So then whether you live or whether you die, you are the Lord's. These are powerful words. And when you are in Jesus Christ, well, they are your truth. They are not just the truth, which they are, but they are your truth when you are in Christ. And now that you've heard his word for you, whether you are living or whether you are dying, this is your truth, for your sins are forgiven in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I know that such a promise as Paul has given is TNT. That is, whether you live or die, you are in Christ. This is powerful stuff. It means that you do not live to yourself and you do not die to yourself. And what do we spend most of our time doing in this old world but trying to figure out how to live to ourselves? How to live our best life, as we say sometimes, or how to avoid dying to ourselves? We spend much of our time doing this. And when you hear Paul's words in Romans 14 with the clarity of the Holy Spirit, that is to say when you hear these words in faith, knowing they are actually true, well, there's an almost scary freedom that is described, that no matter whether you live or whether you die, you are the Lord's. So you might begin to wonder, well, what difference does it make? And this is indeed what Paul is saying, and that sounds a little reckless, doesn't it? This past week, we were reminded of the horrible terrorist bombings of September 11, 2001. As the years go by, there are more and more who don't remember that day, but even 22 years later, the images are haunting. They are haunting because we value life. And we are called in all that we do to protect life. That is the call of the law, though we are imperfect at it. And hearing Paul's words in Romans could cause you to question the freedom that he is describing, that maybe it's a little too far. That maybe a little fear of death is a good thing. In fact, as a parent, you must teach this to your children. This is true. That freedom from death might be a little too reckless. Perhaps even encouraging such destructive behavior as we remember from that day. But I tell you now, brothers and sisters in Christ, the freedom of Christ, that is the freedom that you have been given in your baptisms, in this word, and in the Lord's Supper as you will receive. Well, this is not freedom for revenge by victory by the law. That will only bring death, as we have seen. But Christ's freedom now which those bombers were not living in. This is the freedom of the forgiveness of sins. And here, in this freedom, there's a whole other kingdom opened to you. It is freedom given to you in Christ by the authority of the keys. You remember last week, it was the second time this, uh, in the last month that Christ has given the keys to the kingdom and it accomplishes freedom to forgive those who sin against you. Thanks be to God. Now, I know that the word was working on you last week. In Matthew 18, Jesus was instructing the disciples what to do if someone in the church sins against you. You go to them, point out their sins. That already makes us a little nervous. And then hope that they repent. And then you forgive them. And in doing this, Jesus says you regain them. And if that doesn't work, you bring a couple others. If that doesn't work, you work through the church structure and in this light, Jesus gave authority to 
bind and to loose to the disciples of the church. I'm going to switch over to this, this one, all right? All right, I think, can you hear me all right? Jesus gave authority to bind or to loose to the church to declare that outside of forgiveness, you are stuck in the miry pit of your sin, but in forgiveness, you have complete freedom. This is what Jesus gave the disciples last week, and if you're waiting for a burning man reference in a sermon, well, this is your week because the psalmist nailed it this week, recalling that we are all but dust and that only God can save us from the mud or the pit of the grave. This is a great a reminder for us that Christ is the one who saves us. Not even burning in effigy in the desert can do this, though we may try uh, year to year, but Christ has accomplished it already. This freedom of Christ's forgiveness is infinite, but it must be proclaimed. It must be heard, and probably time and time again. You must hear it repeatedly. And if this word of forgiveness makes you a little nervous... Or if last week you began to worry a little bit about how much you might have to forgive someone that has sinned against you, well, count yourself in the company of Peter. For here Peter has a follow-up question for Jesus, and that brings us to our gospel reading for this week. Peter says to Jesus, yes, these keys that you've just given me, not to a Mustang, but something even better, uh, to the kingdom, they sound pretty good. But isn't there some limit to this forgiveness, some speed limit that we have to abide by when someone keeps sinning against you. And you might think two or three times is a pretty good limit. Sounds reasonable. I mean, we have this rule, three strikes and you're out. But Peter goes beyond this and says, seven times. This sounds very generous. Isn't this a good limit, Jesus? That's Peter's best offer, by the way. But Jesus reveals that Peter is still stuck in the law even when trying to describe forgiveness. And he says, not seven times, but 77 times. Or some interpretations say seven times 70. Either way, it's more than you can keep track of in your head. And then Jesus binds Peter's sin by telling this crazy parable about a slave who owes his master an impossible sum of money. It's something like seven and a half billion dollars. Now, obviously he can't pay it back. Who could? And so he's about to be sold, along with his whole family, which gives us a little insight about how sin works, not just for the individual, but has repercussions through the community. But then this slave asks for some time to pay it back, even though he can't. Amazingly, he receives full remission of the debt. Yet the same day, as Jesus tells the parable, this slave encounters a friend of his who owes him a far smaller sum of money, something like $20,000. And the fellow slave asks him for time to pay it back, yet the first slave takes him by the throat and says, I don't think so. You're going to prison until you can pay back this debt. The other slaves see this. They tell the master. The master goes to the first slave and says, look what I have forgiven you, and yet you do this to someone who owes you much less. And he puts him in prison to be tortured, Jesus says. Horrible description uh, of life until he can pay back his original debt. Now, this is not a great ending to the parable, is it? It's, it's not an ending that, that ends in forgiveness or grace. And then Jesus puts an exclamation point on it and says, so my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you 
if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart? And we say, whoa, hold on. What have I signed up for by coming to church today? If you've been wondering, though, what this authority to bind sin actually is, and I've had that question a few times, well, you've just heard it. It's just been exercised. Jesus is telling Peter, he's trying to put limit on Jesus' forgiveness, and Jesus is telling this to us, by the way, that our problem of sin is much worse than we think. Yet, it has been forgiven. And way more than $7.5 billion worth That is, you not only have had a few things scrubbed from your record, but you have been given a brand new heart. This is what Jesus means when he says, you must forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. Now, when we hear this as a legal requirement, it sounds kind of tough, that I not only have to forgive others, but I have to want to do it. I'm reminded of uh, an old Saturday Night Live character the, old, the gruff old man from years ago who would recount the days of yore in a typical fashion. I mean, you've heard your father or grandfather say, you know, when I was younger, we had to walk to school uphill 10 miles both ways, right? And we liked it. We didn't only have to do it, but we liked it. And the, the Saturday Night Live character would say, well, when I was younger, we didn't have TV or iPads. If we wanted to be entertained. We just looked at the sun. That's how it was when I was young, and we liked it. This is what I hear when Jesus says, you have to forgive from your heart. You have to not only do it, but like it. And when we're hearing this in a legal sense, well, it's a rather steep hill. It's a rather stiff wind to walk against. And how do we get this? How do we get this? Well, you get it because Jesus is not now saying you must do this, though that is true. He's saying, when I forgive you, I give you a new heart. Sometimes we run into this when we're reminded of lavish forgiveness. You might recall the story of the, of the Amish community. I believe it was in Pennsylvania some years ago. And, uh, and, and a man came and uh, took the lives of a number of their children. Uh, a, a horrible story. Yet even more incredible is that the Amish families came together and publicly forgave this man. And I sit back and wonder, could I do that? Or even in our Old Testament reading, we have this incredible story of the brothers selling Joseph into slavery, yet they come back groveling, worried, after he has saved their lives, given them food. With tears, they come to him, and with tears, he goes to them and says, I forgive you. Incredible stories of forgiveness, yet how does this come about? Well, the power of Jesus' forgiveness is that you are given a new heart, not just a directive, a new life, a new hope outside of the law, outside of this old world, outside even of the fear of death. And when you receive this forgiveness as is yours today, you will want to share it. My wife Erin reminded me of a Facebook post she shared some years ago. She wrote on uh, Facebook, uh, a while ago we started doing some confession and absolution at bedtime with the older kids. She says, I had been complaining about how much law there is in being a parent. Stop touching your brother, or you need your shoes on now, (laughs) or eat your vegetables, or no, we're not quitting piano lessons. This might sound familiar. A wise man 
Aaron says, advised, and it wasn't me, by the way, <laughs> advised that I inject some gospel and forgiveness into our nighttime routine so the kids will speak of the small or big crimes or non-actions and all hand over forgiveness. Wesley, who was five years old at the time, has all sorts of questions about where the sin goes. Does it go all the way to the church basement, he wondered, or somewhere in Australia? How far away exactly? But in general, we all end the day on an excellent note, hearing Christ's absolution for us all. The interesting and lovely development has been that Wesley has been taking this forgiveness on the road to his neighborhood friends. If there is a conflict or dark deeds afoot during their play, he has started dragging them to me so I can forgive them. Wesley says, my mom's really good at it and you'll feel lots better. <laughs> and my wife Erin ends the post, well, there are worse things. Indeed, there are worse things than this. In fact, there is hardly anything better than sharing this forgiveness. Yet how can such forgiveness come about? Is it something you have to grit your teeth to do? Well, it might feel like it some days. But I tell you, no, this is a freedom now you cannot manufacture. It can only be given to you as your sins are forgiven. And so if you, like Peter, are gritting your teeth worried about how many times you need to forgive or worried that you might lose count and be taken advantage of, and you probably will, by the way, well, then confess to God what is bothering you. And God, who is faithful and just, will forgive your sins, not just seven times, but as often as you need. And this sin is taken farther than the church basement and farther than Australia. It's taken as far as the east is from the west, as our psalmist reminds us. And this promise will take you from revenge to renewal, to new life, in fact. This promise takes you from being stuck in the mud or the dust, wherever you might be, or the grave of your own self-interest, to being free. And knowing how faith works, I know that you will not be able to help but share this freedom like Wesley, maybe even rounding up the neighborhood kids to receive it. For the grace of Christ is more powerful than your sin because now you are in Christ. And now whether you live or whether you die, you are the Lord's. Amen.